Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We are coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Marlene Even. As the ABC lobbies for a funding boost to support broadcasting in the Pacific, In this episode, we turn to Australia's relationship with the media in Pacific Island countries. There is a renewed call-out for Australia to step up its game. Exactly a week ago, a federal parliamentary committee recommended the Australian government expand its media presence in the region. They presented the report strengthening Australia's relationships with the countries in the Pacific region to the Senate, Today, we unpack what this report means and how Australian media can step up to report and collaborate better. To discuss this and more, we are joined by three esteemed guests. We have Georgina Kekia, a freelance journalist based in Solomon Islands, co-producer of ABC show Pacific Prepared, and president of the Media Association of Solomon Islands. Welcome, Georgina. Thank you. And we also have Jemima Garrett, freelance journalist, co-founder and co-convener of Australia Asia Pacific Media Initiative, APMI, and former Pacific correspondent for ABC. Welcome, Jemima. Thanks very much. Good to be here. And we also have Stefan Armbruster, SBS correspondent on Queensland and the Pacific and an industry fellow at Griffith University's Pacific Hub. Welcome, Stefan. Thanks for having me along. Now, starting off, Georgina, what's your initial reaction to the Federal Parliament Committee recommending Australia expands its media and broadcasting footprint in the Pacific? Well, thank you so much uh, for throwing this question to me to be the first to <laughs> speak in this podcast. Uh, yeah, I think for for the media, for, for us in Solomon Islands, I guess... Uh, the media industry or the media landscape here is pretty small and having um, this kind of uh, initiative coming in that would be yeah could be good could be bad in some ways but then uh, we're always on the bright side uh, looking at the uh, how the benefits it will be especially giving more uh, coverage or even for the Pacific for that matter where the media industry or the media landscape is pretty small so I'm still not too sure what what really the uh, aims and objectives of this um, uh, initiative is Uh, but yeah we are being open-minded about this. And Jemima the Australia Asia Pacific Media Initiative is one of the groups calling for Australia to step up their involvement in media why do you think this is so important? 
Well, I guess uh, the, our group actually came together around um, the national interest, really, in that Australia used to have a big voice in both Asia and the Pacific. And as a result of some really serious cuts in 2014, that voice was decimated just really when it was needed most. But I think Gina, in terms of this report, hit the nail on the head when she said it could be good, it could be bad. So what um, our group, um, which is made up of a, a very wide range of people from f former executives of um, media companies that have worked right across the region, former correspondents, former ambassadors, as well as um, members of the Pacifica and Asian diaspora communities. What we've been lobbying for is a innovative new way of doing it, which would be really based around co-productions and about bringing the Pacific voice into Australia and then obviously onto the world. But this thing about co-productions is really, really important for a whole host of reasons. Um, I mean, one of them is that we in Australia just don't hear the Pacific voice enough, but even more importantly, uh, media in the region is in crisis as it is all over the world really um, and we feel that that co-production work could really um, assist to support the public interest quality media in the Pacific to continue to exist in its own right so by by joining co-productions with Australian media houses as equal partners we have a conversation with the region that is modern and, um, you know, we're talking with the region, not to the region, which has been one of the problems Australia's faced in the past. And also we are supporting uh, quality public interest um, journalism and media in the region, which of course is absolutely vital for democracies. Stefan, I'd love you to weigh in on this. Are you hopeful about these recommendations? Wow. <laughs> Um, hopeful, yes. Look, you know, there's there's some really interesting things being put forward, and probably a bit stronger than um, Jemima might be able to correct me on this than than was um, expected. And if it's if it's taken up by the government's, well, it depends how it's, it's it depends who wins the next election, basically, and how they decide to proceed in um, in applying these recommendations because they are just recommendations at the end of the day it can be like so many other reports and just be put back up on the shelf again but it's it's like, like it's already been said there's a the the media in the Pacific's under incredible stress uh, even more so than I'd say in the western media space because the revenues and the finances are just are just so so slim in the countries around the region and so any way that people can work together to make like like we've had to do in the media here in australia you know to make the most out of the few resources we've got and if there's if there's scope and hopefully there is for more resources to be put into the region in terms of developing the media and and allowing it to continue to to exist and hopefully flourish that'd be a, a fantastic thing in 2017 australia switched off its shortwave transmission to the Pacific and, and regional northern Australia. What impact did this have on Australia's soft power or soft diplomacy? Jemima, I'll go to you. Um, well, it'd be interesting to talk to Gina because shortwave is a very small part of this whole thing because really international broadcasting as it used to be known but um, has morphed into... Uh, multi-platform media and the reason why shortwave is important is particularly in Melanesian countries where 
um, there are very remote communities. It's really the only form of radio that oh, that can reach them. But also, I mean, obviously mobile phones are spreading, but there's a, a question of the, um, the digital divide. Can people afford to get the mobile phones? Are the mobile phone towers working, powered up? Um, that's particularly a problem in Papua New Guinea. Um, there may be quite high mobile phone ownership, but it doesn't mean you can actually get a signal. Um, so shortwave radio is really a, a technology which goes to very remote communities, but then it's important because of course those remote communities really have very little other choice. And I mean, Solomon's is somewhere where this can be an issue. Yeah, and if I might add on with what Jemima has said, especially when it comes to shortwave, um, I guess for us in the Solomon Islands, um, we have only one national radio, which is SIBC, but maintaining, uh, you know, uh, uh, equipment or even um, an infrastructure, such an infrastructure, you know, the price, we, we mainly rely on diesel fuel, uh, the underlying cost operations of it all. Uh, it seems to be an issue. And not, not only that, with, with the way lifestyle of people nowadays, you know, the young ones, uh, we tend to see they uh, are more interested in listening to music and all that. So that, that's really kind of a challenge for us, especially in the broadcasting sector. We really need to also identify how we can also grasp our audience uh, to listen to what we are providing because we can have all the content that we have, but if people do not have radios or do not have access uh, to batteries and all that, yeah, that's just, just the other side of it as well. It's a great point that Gina's making there about what you need to think of is the audience and what it needs first. Then you think of um, how you're going to provide that. And, and the sort of the technology is the last cab off the rank is, um, you know, first you look at what they need and how they're listening. And then you think about how you're going to get it to them. And that's the technology element. And I wanted to go to the example of Australia's media coverage. There has been some criticism that Australia's media coverage can focus too much on looking through a geopolitical lens, so like how will this affect Australia, rather than reporting on domestic politics. Uh, in using the example of the media coverage of Solomon Islands draft security deal with China, do you think this this criticism has has credit? Yeah, look, it's there's there's a lot of issues about the framing of coverage in Australia of the Pacific. And I, I think one of the best ways to probably sum it up is that many commentators continue to use the word backyard. And that term in itself is so loaded when you're talking about equal sovereign nations talking you know, with each other and, and engaging with each other. It's, um, you know, if you're talking about neighbours, you, you don't go around to your neighbours through the backyard, you're going through the front door or knock on the front door, at least I should say. And so the, um, there's, there's a lot of, that's, that's where it starts. And then by, by restricting the coverage, quite often the coverage is of the Pacific is where well, you get a lot of natural disasters. You have um, sport, of course, then you hear a bit about it in relation to climate change and the, the very few other issues really ever make it onto the radar here in Australia, maybe a bit of seasonal, uh, with the seasonal workers. And, um, and then you get this, this the, the big C word, China, and what that means in a region, which, which seems to te 
tend to um, cancel out a whole lot of other things in the Australian media's mind about what's going on in the region. So it's there's a very there's a very narrow focus quite often from Australia towards the region when when they really the media really needs to take a much more a much much broader view and, and also take take notice of of culture and custom and how these different countries relate to each other and how people relate within countries. And that's part of the, the issue with, I think, the Solomon Islands. You know, Gina's better to talk to this than I am. But, you know, here, here the, just the difference of understanding between um, what, what went on, going back to the days of the crisis in the late 90s and the tensions that were there, all of that's not really understood by people who are reporting on it today and, and what the situation is with, with Malaita and in relation to the Sogavari government. So the Australian media needs to take a much broader view and, and taking a broader view involves actually engaging in the region, understanding the region, under, understanding the people who live in the region and the differences that, that are there to actually give, give a, a, a good representation back to Australia. And even better, employ, employ regional journalists to do that, give, give their perspective and interpretation on what's going on in their countries and feed that into an Australian audience. Thank you, Stefan. If, and if I might add from uh, from our perspective here too, as well as someone who does freelance work and have been covering um, some of the work here, especially during the riots. And of course, we have the recent um, security agreement with PRC. I guess it's correct to say that while we appreciate the uh, um, international coverage, which our international media are interested in, uh, when it comes to the angles itself, it doesn't. Uh, when it comes to for us in like for us in Solomon Islands, for instance, having to write or even file stories for an international media that's already have a set angle on what they want on the story while really on the ground it's not what it is like here so it's it's sort of challenging when you have uh, a newsroom overseas that's already set bent this is the angle that we want this is uh, who can you find out whether you know China has been able to there was a big buffet or meal held with the members coming and you know China hosting them to a meal before they signed the deal you know those kind of uh, idea which uh, we get mainly from overseas media thinking that oh this is what's happening in Solomon Islands maybe uh, you know the group has been uh, the government of Solomon Islands has been treated to a dinner and then they signed the deal I mean from someone who's on the ground and hearing all this when it comes to international media trying to get their angle across to us uh, as a journalist here we have to be objective in how we look at the issue as well, uh, lest we forget uh, the journalists who are in their respective countries are also from that national country. So, of course, being a pro-Solomon Islander, you will tend to stop and think and say, hold on, um, as a Solomon Islander, I have to be objective in how I write this story as well. But then you have the international media that's bent on saying that, no, this is what we want. This is how you should cover it. You should try and, you know, ask around again. Um, and they tend to forget that even though we are journalists, uh, we also are pro-nationals of the country which we come from. So those are some of the challenges that we feel that are also um, with us when it comes to our geopolitics and of course covering issues of this sort. So we tend not to try to be involved much in this uh, kind of topic, not because we don't want to, but because 
the angles uh, which was thrown at us is not really what we see happening on the ground. Yeah. Yes, a good example of that, I would think, would be uh, the failure of the Australian media to recognise what's called the new Pacific diplomacy. So we've seen um, Pacific countries really uh, taking the lead on so many issues. I mean, they actually have for decades. So, uh, say the original law of the sea, that uh, the Pacific played a, a big role in um, getting that through the United Nations. Uh, the campaign against drift net fishing, which was a very destructive method of fishing that could have, um, they used to call them walls of death, but they were nets hanging down um, many metres into the water column and they could be um, 50 kilometres wide. The Pacific played a key role in that sort of thing. People are more familiar with the, the key role they've played on climate change, but um, Pacific Island countries as a whole have a very different diplomatic stance to Australia and New Zealand. But here in Australia, we tend to just get the, you know, the media gives the impression um, of, you know, as Stefan said, talking about our backyard, when in fact it's the front yard of someone else. <laughs> it's not our backyard, it's our neighbourhood. And, uh, you know, the idea that Pacific nations are pawns is an anathema to Pacific nations. So I think that's why we need more media engagement with the region. So Australian journalists can't get away with this really simplistic approach to the region. Yeah, and, and I guess, sorry, I have to budge in again. <laughs> I can see this taking, you see Evan uh, Solomon Islander now a part of the team, especially when it comes to Pacific Beat, uh, being an ex executive producer and myself a co-producer of uh, Pacific Prepared. These are really positive steps towards uh, having the voice of the Pacific and especially uh, Pacific Islanders, some of the leading roles in this sort of um, newsrooms, it will also spread or I would say give a fair balance story not only on um, angles or issues but also of stories that that uh, that Pacific Islanders feel strongly about so I guess it's a positive step in the right direction when we see opportunities also given to uh, Pacific Islanders uh, in this space yeah and picking up on that I mean when you look at Australian media in the region I mean there are so many untold stories uh, just the you know, historical documentary um, opportunities and things like the peopling of the Pacific and the incredible voyaging that the region did. I mean, there's been hardly anything um, done on that. There's the um, amazing number of rich cultures and histories of all the different peoples. I mean, the, the uh, variety of languages in the Pacific is far greater than any other place on earth. So there are many, many stories that are not just news stories. Um, I mean, there's also the, you know, the story of young people getting into um, tech jobs, uh, um, you know, story, stories that break the stereotype about how people see Pacific Islanders. Um, I mean, one of my favourites when I was working in the Pacific was, it was just a simple story, but it was about a Papua New Guinean guy who'd grown up in the village and um, he uh, got into um, IT and then he was a bit bored and he saw an ad for um, a scholarship to Japan. And now he, um, since then, he's actually done his master's in Japanese and he's now teaching big data at Osaka University to Japanese students and he's got a PhD. You know, there are just so many different parts of the Pacific that really we never see. Um, and if we're going to have a um, conversation with the neighbourhood, um, these are the sorts of things that would emerge. And if I can jump in 
And then Jemima, um, one of the things that's happened out of COVID, that's come out of COVID, which I think has been quite interesting, is that, uh, as Gina was saying, with, with Evan working for Radio Australia Pacific, Australian and New Zealand news agencies and organisations have been, because of the travel restrictions to countries, have, have had to engage with local journalists to get their content, to get their media out. And in various places, they're now hiring local rather than being able to send people in. And that's a that's a, a really sudden development that's only come up during COVID, really, because before then, there was very few Pacific Islanders who had a voice in, in the Australian media. Despite many mm. years of lobbying. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess it's it's a challenge. Uh, it's for for us in the Pacific that we really need to step up our game now. Now that we see this happening, uh, but sad to say, as uh, we've mentioned earlier, like the media landscape is getting smaller and smaller, especially with uh, good journalists moving into PR work and all those kind of things, which is making it really challenging for us, especially when we have to meet uh, the obligations of uh, our international audience as well. So the onus is on the Pacific journalists to really step up the game as well. And of course, uh, we need to encourage more Pacific Islanders to go into the area of uh, journalism and media as a part of the education, if they want to get scholarship, probably journalism and media would be one area which we need to promote so that we have more Pacific Islanders coming into that space. For us in Solomon Islands, unfortunately, we do not have any new intakes currently at the moment. So we have a gap now uh, when it comes to journalists coming out. So most of the journalists that we have here now are mainly in the PR communication sector and uh, there are only a couple of few of us around uh, that are able to adapt and adjust and, of course, meet the demands which our international uh, friends also uh, want. So the onus really is on us uh, as Pacific Islanders to take our space and also improve ourselves if we want to be out there and in the same level as uh, you guys are. Yeah. Interestingly, Gina, that was one of the issues that the um, Pacific, uh, the Fiji editors who've been in um, Australia this week raised that um, there needs to be uh, a better career path and better um, training, including master's degrees in journalism for Pacific journalists. Jemima, that's also uh, tied to something else that's really important, and, and that's uh, a livable wage. And as in Fiji, I got the sense that uh, people who are out, just out of university, um, USP or, or uh, Fiji National University, uh, in the first uh, three to five years, the maximum they could expect to earn in terms of Australian dollars would be around 10,000 per year. And I, I don't think the figure is very much different in, in Papua New Guinea. And I'm, Gina, I'm not sure what it's like in Solomons, but it's, it, at the moment, it's just not sustainable for people to work in the industry because they, they can't actually support themselves. I might jump on that question. Gina, what is the impact that this financial stress can have on the media landscape in Solomon Islands? It's very, I think uh, it's really bad, especially because uh, we do not have, like you can just count with your fingers, uh, the media organisations that we have here, like we have only two print media uh, and there's only the national radio. We have the FM radio stations, but they do not uh, have uh, a newsroom, which uh, most radio have. Basically, they just get news from online media or wherever they can. Uh, but otherwise, when it comes to the media landscape, yeah, it's pretty small and it, and it hasn't even grown any 
I think, it, in, in fact, it seems to be diminishing instead of, you know, growing. It, it, it seems to get smaller and smaller as each year goes by. And it's really a worry for us, especially for us in Solomon Islands, when I see the media uh, going down this way, because um, most of the, uh, uh, both of the print media are family-owned businesses, uh, SIBC except for it, it's the state-owned enterprise, but otherwise that's just about the media landscape for us here. So you can see more of the journalists that are out there, basically freelance journalists that seems to be uh, in the market. Uh, unlike um, the uh, newsrooms, I think you can just count with your fingers. It's less than 10, the number of journalists working in the newsroom and they have to file stories every day. They print daily, Sunday to Sunday. And there's only four reporters or three in the newsrooms uh, in a day. So it's quite a, quite a big pressure for the journalists. And then the financial uh, issues which we are facing now with the impact of COVID and all that's happening, it's really um, not a good uh, scenario for us in the Solomon Islands at this point in time. And getting back to the report, um, one of the things, uh, I really welcome the report because it's the first time a parliamentary committee has looked so carefully at media, but one of the things they missed was the whole dimension of media development. So Australia's actually played quite a leading role and all three of us have <laughs> played a role in being, um, you know, in participating in that program in one way or another in media development in the region. This report's only looked at Australia's media voice. And as we said earlier, that needs to be done in a 21st century way and in a way that supports specific media. Uh, and that's fairly urgent to address these issues that Gina's talking about with uh, the, the tiny cohort of journalists who are really in need of support. But then secondly, Australia also needs to look at the role it plays specifically in media development and uh, assisting Pacific media with their business models, you know, with um, training of all sorts, supporting universities to develop master's programs, for instance. So there's quite a lot of work that needs to be done there. And it's all pretty urgent if we want to see public interest journalism in the region survive. And a clear example for us in Solomon Islands, we do have a local university that um, provides certificates in journalism for students. The intake was probably between 10 and 20 when, you know, the last cohort uh, was there that was about two years ago. Uh, last year, I think during graduation, there was only four that graduated or even completed the two years. So, you know, they didn't even last the whole two years in, in school. So. I think supporting the local universities as well uh, in this sector would be another way in which uh, we can see um, journalists, you know, uh, improving um, the intakes that we have. Yeah. And going back to the report, it speaks about improving trust and accessibility um, of broadcasting. Does Australian media still have that same level of trust within the Pacific and and is this discourse of Australia being part of the Pacific family um, still hold the same weight that it did a few years ago? I guess so. Uh, yeah, I think when it comes to trust and um, you know, uh, for us in Solomon Islands, I will speak basically from Solomon Islands experience. Uh, I guess the trusted medium which Solomon Islanders or even those in Honiara looks to uh, basically ABC and BBC. We've also seen how the quality of our uh, local uh, media has really dropped, uh, unlike 
20 years ago, there's distrust in the local media, but it seems to be going downhill from then on until now. So Australia uh, and BBC are the trusted source of information for most Solomon Islanders. Uh, but there are times which sometimes I think the topics which uh, comes out uh, from the radio as well, as I've mentioned earlier about Solomon Islanders uh, or even any national for that matter being pro uh, citizens of their country, sometimes when the angles that, that they hear on the radio, it, it, tend to, it tends to make them lose trust as well, especially when they know what's really happening on the ground and hearing commentators uh, speaking uh, on the radio, and as you've mentioned, backyard and all that kind of thing, it, it really sometimes uh, doesn't go down well. And in that sense, they, it will also make people lose interest or even lose the trust that they have uh, in that radio, especially when, when, we, when we don't remain objective in how we do our reporting, which is why even though there are issues that we feel strongly about, we must try not to be biased in how we make our opinions. Uh, objectivity would be the best way to go. There's a really interesting part of the report which basically suggests setting up a new, a new whole new structure for engaging with the between the Australian media and the, the media in the Pacific. And that could be a, a valuable way of re-establishing trust because then you'd have input from um, all, all the parties into what, um, what is suitable to people's needs. And then we could get coverage and, and content pushed out there, which would be relevant to the audiences that it's reaching because quite a lot of content that comes from Australia isn't really relevant to the audiences in the Pacific. There's um, been various initiatives that uh, have been fairly um, narrowly focused in some ways. And so if the, if the report is adopted and yeah, well, obviously we'll have to wait until after the election to see what sort of strategic direction is taken. But yeah, there, there is, there's, a, there's a basis there for rebuilding and building on what exists at the moment. And, and I think that's been acknowledged by some media organizations in Australia already with the ABC saying they're actually gonna take a a, uh, a stronger um, or um, um, a more dedicated approach to the Pacific region recent, recently. And, and SBS has been doing a very, very much a similar thing and slowly building its um, well, capacity and footprint there. And you see that in other organisations as well. You see like um, the MEAA, the, the Journalist Union is starting to engage more in, in the Pacific region in, and working with um, the, the media associations in the area the ifj is doing is trying to do a similar thing the international journalist federation so there's a there's a whole lot of um organizations that are now working much more closely so it's part of the fallout of the whole china um angle that's been coming out is that a lot of organizations are now taking an interest in the region and in the process actually being educated and starting to understand the region a little bit better and hopefully they'll translate into into a more productive relationship Yes, that is a terrific development. And one of the things that the Australia Asia Pacific Media Initiative has been very keen to do is to try and build a bipartisan and a multipartisan support for um, a significant uh, step up in media in the region and to do that based on principles, because there's a uh, the ABC has become a bit of a political football, as everyone knows, in Australia. And we don't want that kind of uh, 
a politicisation of an institution to um, go into the international sphere. So we've been working very hard to bring all the political parties behind the idea of uh, a greater uh, engagement between Australia and Pacific media. And really, I think that's the best thing that's come out of this report, because this is a uh, multi-partisan report. So that means that it's supported by all the coalition members of the committee, all the Labor members. There were other members from other parties and independents on the committee too. So I think it really means there has been a, um, a thorough look at the issue and um, a sense that the, the direction could be very positive. Yeah, I agree with both Jemima and Stefan on this. Yep. And it's quite clear in the report, it's a recommendation seven says that the Australian government considers steps necessary to, to expand Australia's media footprint uh, in the Pacific and, and outlines a number of steps that it could could take. And and that's a really good um, basis to start from. And it'll just be like uh, Jemima flagged at the beginning and Gina as well, that, yeah, that it could go either way. But if it's taken up the right way and taken up in the right spirit, there's a, there's a lot of good that could come out of this. Thank you so, so much, all of you, for your insight on this topic. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you, Tomas. It's a pleasure and it's great to be hanging out with um, colleagues, even if it is just virtually. On that note, I'd like to thank Georgina Kakia, Jemima Garrett, Stefan Armbruster for being on Fourth Estate. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is 4th Estate AU. Thanks to our executive producer, Anthony Dockrell. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for listening. <laughs>